Great to see you all this morning. Glad you're here, uh, especially those visiting with us. Special welcome to you today. Um, we are just beginning a study through uh, the Gospel of John. And so we're in John chapter 1, right here at the very beginning. Last week, we just kind of took a little bit of a theme from John and 1 John um, about the theme of, of overcoming. Um, what we understand is that Jesus has overcome the world. He even said that before he went to the cross. That's how certain victory is in his name. And you and I are either every day participating in the overcoming of Jesus and in his victory, or we are losing ground. One of the, true, one of the two is true for us every day. And so last week we talked about those things um, that we do practically that help us to overcome. And what I mean by that is, I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, your, your salvation is secure in Jesus because of what Jesus did on the cross, not on your ability to keep step. However, we still want to and desire to live in that victory. Because if we have been made victorious by Jesus, why would we volunteer for defeat? Why would we take unnecessary losses? So how do we avoid those unnecessary losses? So we talked about um, you know, time in the Word, and, and research shows that if you have four or more encounters in the Word each week, your life is going to be radically different than if you have three or less. Four or more in 2020. And with that same theme, there's four things you can do. That time in the Word, four or more. Prayer fellowship, and sharing your faith. Look, folks, it's a pretty simple formula. Like, if we're doing those things, we will be growing in Christ and we will be making a difference in our, uh, in our communities, in our spheres of influence. It's also pretty simple that if we are not doing those things, that we will not be making a difference individually and collectively. Like the formula for winning is pretty simple, and the formula for losing is pretty simple. It's not rocket science. There's not like, oh, we need to find this magic solution. No, it's, it's all simple, and it's all stuff that the scripture has given to us. I mean, I say four more. The, the scripture actually says, though, you know, day and night, I'm going to meditate on your word. You know, so. so we need to understand that if we're not experiencing victory, usually the way to turn that around isn't complicated. The most difficult part is admitting that the problem is within and not without. Especially in the culture that we live in. Because the culture that we live in is a blame everybody else culture. Hey, listen, there's legitimate reasons to blame other people for other stuff. The problem is, though, that that's actually not going to make your life better. You know, nobody, nobody, claim, nobody, nobody complains their way to a better life. Not in any sort of real, substantial, like, core view who you are, like, more peace and joy in your life. You don't complain your way there. Doesn't happen. But there are steps that we can take to ensure that regardless of our circumstances... The, regardless of whether we're, we're poor or rich or somewhere in the middle. Regardless of the time that you live in or the culture that you live in, you can ensure that your life is pleasing to Jesus by doing the basic things that he asks. And you can ensure that you are, and I are not reaching our potential if we are not doing those things. That's my point. It's, it's, in that sense, it's a complicated world, but it's pretty simple. So, we, we want to have victory in, in his name because Jesus came to give us victory, to give us salvation, to give us life, to make us the children of God. I mean, he put on human flesh for that. Jesus put on human flesh. Christ put on human flesh for that purpose. And so certainly we should enjoy the benefit of why he did all of that. Um, so let's, 
read the first five verses of John chapter 1, and then we'll go again to the Lord in prayer. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, or the darkness did not overcome it. Both of those are probably intended in John's writing. The darkness did not comprehend, nor did it overcome. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your truth, your life, your goodness to us, God. Please help us as we look into your word this morning that you would encourage our hearts, that you would help us to live in spirit and in truth this morning and throughout our days that our lives would be victorious in your name. Thank you for each life and each family represented here today. Lord, we pray that each one would be blessed by living in that victorious life that you have offered and given to us. Jesus, we know that came at a great cost, and please help us never to take that for granted. And we don't this morning, Lord, and we thank you in your name, Jesus. Amen. just want to emphasize again is we, we did speak some of these about these verses last week but that that word is the Christ and that the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through him apart from him nothing came into being that has, has come into being the Christ is essential to life to the universe to everything Colossians tells us he's the one who holds it all together. You and I have breath today because of Jesus Christ, period. You have life because of Jesus Christ, and if you have eternal life, it's because of Jesus Christ. That is fundamental to our understanding of who Jesus is. And what John explains to us throughout the gospel, what the gospel, what the whole of scriptures explains to us, is that the Word is fully God and yet also fully human. And that's a mystery, but it's, nece- it's a necessary mystery. Because to have the power to save us, it has to be God's power. It has to be God who saves us. But to save us who are humans, He also has to represent us in our humanity. And in that, in that way, he, has to, he had to put on human flesh to be like us yet without sin because in that old testament um, the old testament system the old co- i should say the old you know the old covenant system you know with without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins and and we couldn't be saved from the from the blood of those who are not like us the animals they were you know a temporary temporary sacrifices to show us the necessity of a suffering Savior. But Jesus, being very God and having put on human flesh, is the one who could meet all of the necessary requirements for us. And he's the only one who, who could do it. And that's why, ultimately, pluralism doesn't work. Because there's only been one who has been adequate for the task that we needed. And in verse 6, it tells us, so well, let me back up just a second. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it or did not overcome it. Again, that was our theme from last week. Jesus is more powerful. He's victorious, and there is victory in his name. The darkness cannot overpower or overcome the light. And then in verse 6, it says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Now, this, this John here is not the John who is writing these words. 
John's a common name, just actually a common name today, <laughs> because of John the Baptist, because of the Apostle John. Um, but they're two different, two different characters. And so we're going to learn more about the John the Baptist in, in uh, future Sundays. So we're not going to take a ton of time here um, to talk about him because it, there's, there's a lot more about him coming. But we do want to just um, understand this introduction that John, the apostle, gives about the John that we call John the Baptist. We call him John the Baptist because he was one who did the baptizing. His parents didn't actually name him John the Baptist. <laughs> he, he got that kind of title because of, of what, he, what he did. He was the baptizer, um, as opposed to the baptizee. So, okay, so he's a baptizer. Um, he, was the bapti- he was the one who did the baptizing, John the Baptist. And he came to, as a witness, to testify about the light. The light is Jesus. But he came to testify about the light. That was his, his purpose. And notice it's, it's very clear that he was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. That's what the scripture says. He was not the light. You know, because people are actually looking at him when he's doing the baptizing and wondering, is he the one that was promised would come? But he was not. His job was to give testi- testify about the light, to prepare people for the light. We need to have that same understanding and mentality. You, know, you and I are not the light. You and I don't save anybody. You, you and I don't... Um, that's not our role, and that's not our capacity. The light that is... If, if you have light within you... If you're a follower of Jesus, I hope you've had people in your life say to you, well, it seems like you have a light in you or about you. Like, there's something... So I, I, you know, people even who are not believers will oftentimes recognize like there's something good there. They might not be able to fully comprehend that light or understand it, but they, you know, they recognize it. They'll recognize it. Something different about you. But we understand if if you have light within you, it is because you have believed in Jesus, and the light of the world has actually entered into you and you carry that light with you because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have set up their residence within your temporary tabernacle your tent, your your body that unless Jesus returns first is going to be done away with because you know you're going to die and it's going to go to the grave now scripture tells us that's going to be resurrected you're going to, you know, it's going to be a you know, whole, perfect, you know, it, it, key thing there being without sin. See, sometimes we're, we're like, well, you know, looking forward to that resurrected body because, you know, then I can be the, the size that I want to be and the, you know, all this and that and have the color hair that I want to that, That's not what's being talked about there, folks. You're, I'm not, I'm not going to promise you. You know that that that's going to radically change. I don't know what is going to. I don't know what your your future body is going to look like. But that's not the point. The point is it's going to be without sin. Amen. It's going to be without sin. But until then, you see, we have this temporary body, and your temporary body might last for twenty some years, or thirty some years, or fifty some years, or maybe up to a hundred years. We don't, you know. If you've made it past the mark, you know you've made it that far, right? But, but you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so we need to be humble. Because you see, we, we, have, we have so little power. We have so little power. But we do have a great power within us. We have light the light of the world, if you are a follower of Jesus, the light of the world is in you. Now, where we have to maintain that humility is when people compliment and say, well, there's a light in you, or you're 
awesome or amazing because of X, Y, Z that we don't go, you know, I am awesome. I am. I am absolutely fantastic. You know, it sounds silly to say that out loud, but come on. How many times have somebody, you know, people said stuff and we're like, yeah, that's all me. Hey, folks, listen, the good in us is the light of Jesus that is being reflected. You see, on, on our own, we can't even take the next breath. So how are we going to be, you know, it's kind of, it's just, it's just interesting, our capacity for, for pride, for, for having so little um, place for it, you know, it's, and it's kind of, I mean, I use this in, in sports, sometimes like in sports, you know, we, we, we call this, you know, we call it an, an irrational confidence. And in like in sports, having an irrational confidence can can be either really helpful or really harmful. So, I mean, I just imagine, you know, pick, pick a sport, but, you know, I'm going to pick basketball because that's, that's the sport I, I like the most. But you got a guy with irrational confidence may take some shots that you're like, that's really not the best shot to take, but he believes he's going to make that shot. And sometimes that irrational confidence can, can pay off to, to a victory. Sometimes that irrational confidence can get you beat by 40. Okay, depending on the scenario. But there's, you know, in this context, for us as followers of, of Jesus, where's our confidence? So you can have an irrational, it's not an irrational confidence. You can have a very rational and crazy high confidence in Jesus and the power that is available to you in him, and your ability to be a light in this world because of him. But to have a confidence just in ourselves is an irrational confidence that has no foundation and no basis. It doesn't match up to what you can actually do by yourself. Because what did Jesus tell us? You know, Later on in this book of John, Jesus tells us, apart from me, you can do all these awesome things? No. That's not what he says. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do some really cool stuff. No. Not what it says. Apart from me, you can do, what's the word? Nothing. 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 Well, let's think about this. If, If Jesus says... Apart from him, we can do nothing. And yet he also says if we have the faith the size of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. Well, then I, I, I would think, just rationally speaking, it would make a lot of sense to try to be really close to Jesus. Like we would say, like, I, I just want more Jesus. But there's a problem with that. And, and what is what is the problem with that? The flesh doesn't want Jesus. See, you, you and I, we, even if you're a follower of Jesus, like you're, you're saved, you've been made, in, you've been born again, you've been made in, this, in, the, in the spirit, but made new in the spirit and whole, but you, you and I still carry around a sinful flesh. You know what your flesh doesn't want? Jesus. Your flesh, my flesh, does not want to read the Word of God. Your flesh and my flesh does not want to pray. Your flesh and my flesh does not want to be vulnerable before God and for the Holy Spirit of God to inform us where we're wrong and what doesn't please Him. You see, what your flesh wants out of the whole spiritual thing is just a little bit of insurance that when you die, you don't go to hell. Because your, your, your flesh is self-centered. So you're, you know, your, your flesh wants the preservation part of the deal. 
but doesn't want the rest of it that requires change and sacrifice and suffering. Like your flesh isn't like, hey, I want sacrifice and suffering. Your flesh isn't like, hey, I want persecution. Your flesh isn't like, hey, I want difficult things in my life. Your flesh wants to avoid all that mess. All of those hard things. But have some benefit. The benefits of not having fear of what's going to happen to to us when we die are the benefit of fellowship. You see, because I mean, it brings up the question, why do things that are called churches or whatever that don't preach Jesus, why do they exist? Like, how, how do they still have people going to them when they're basically saying, it doesn't really matter what you believe. It's all okay in the end, this or that or the other thing. And you don't have to change anything about how you live because however you want to live, whatever feels good to you is good. Do that. Well, how do those places, I mean, how are there people still there? Because what difference would it make if you did that or if you didn't do that? Because there's something within us that still wants fellowship, community, people around us. People still have that desire and need, right? But don't we want more than that? But don't we want more than that Don't we want the fullness of the light? Verse 9. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man or every one. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Now that's kind of amazing when you think about it. You know, the, the maker is not known by those who he made. And, and you know, it's, it's one thing if we were talking about, you know, a carpenter making, you know, taking, taking wood and, and forming that into shapes, and you go, well, of course, those, those shapes, that table, the chairs or whatever, don't know the carpenter. Of course, those objects that were made. But... You know, we weren't made like that. We weren't even made like the animals. But we were made unique in that God breathed life into us and made us in his image. Made in the image of God. So being made in the image of God, we should recognize his image. But it says here, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. And then in verse 11, he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Who were his, his own in that sense? Well, that's you know, referring to the Jewish people, the, the nation of Israel. They did not, you know, he came to his own because that's the line you know, he came from to be the one who would sit on the throne of David. So that's on the human side, the, the lineage, and, and they certainly should have recognized because they had been given the prophets and the, you know, the, the law, the prophecies. They had been given everything needed to recognize the Messiah when he came. But it said, he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Now, John is obviously, you know, he's writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he's also writing from the benefit of, you know, Christ has come and lived and had his public ministry, and John has been part of all of that and witnessed all of that and the crucifixion and resurrection. And so John's writing looking backwards and how the religious leaders, for the most part, most of them, not all of them, but most of them had rejected Jesus, we see here in a couple chapters, one who did not reject. And there's this in verse 12, but as many as received him, 
To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So let's go back to verse 12. This, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So those who believe in Jesus, those who have put their trust in him, are made children of God. Jesus makes us children of God. Being in him makes you a child of God. I mean, how incredible is that? You see, you're, you get more than just being saved from the wrath of God. thought this was, was kind of you know, if you know Facebook or like when there's a natural disaster, you know, people will be like, so and so, marked safe from the hurricane in this place or from the typhoon in this place or whatever natural disaster it is. See, if you're in Jesus, you put, how about this for Facebook status? Marked safe from the wrath of God. Your name. Marked safe from the wrath of God, meaning you don't, you don't have to fear anymore the wrath of God. Now, there's an implication there that those who are not in Jesus cannot mark themselves safe. They are marked like in great danger of the wrath of God. But you see, we're more than just marked safe. You're made to be the children of God, and ultimately, I mean, you're, you're at the table of God in full fellowship with him. That's incredible, folks. Like, I mean, and, and again, you know, we have to work past some of our culture that says, you know, we, well, we deserve everything that's good or wonderful or whatever. Folks, when it comes to God, you and I, like, we just, I just got to remind us this morning that Chet Boy III, me, like, you know what I deserve from God? I deserve justice. I deserved to reap the fullness of my own sin. That's what I deserved. I was going to say, I hate to break it to you, but I don't hate to break it to you. Like for every one of us, that's what you deserved. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. That's just the hard truth, the reality of it. We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve to be punished for our sins because we have fallen short of the standard and we have offended a holy God, period. Like That's what we've done. So, you know, God didn't owe us anything when we rebelled against him and his kingdom. You know, as, as I mean, Jesus as king, doesn't go, you know, all those subjects who rebelled against me, you know what, I really, I owe them all this good stuff. He doesn't owe us, but he loves us. He doesn't owe us, but he loves us. Like, God loved us when we were enemies. Not when we were good. Not when we were on the right side. Not when we were holy and righteous. No, he loved us before that. When we were enemies. When we were sinful. To those who believe in his name. See, those are the ones. That, that's throughout the gospel. You know, those who believe in his name. It's like he's the one with, with the power of life and death. He's the one with the power to give salvation. Says, he, John talks about some things that's not of. Uh, he says this, who believe in his name, you know, who were born... 
And, and we'll see in John chapter 3, he's really talking there about being born again. You have a, have a physical birth and a spiritual birth. We're not of blood. Okay, so it's not of... Because yeah, there, were, there were people in, in the time of the, of the Gospels and, and even today that said, well, we're, we're descendants of Abraham. Of course we're good. Abraham's our father. Of course we're right with God. Look at my, you know, they, look at my lineage. And you see, for them, it was very important. It's still very important. I mean, people, people then and even now could, could, could put their line and trace it all the way back to Abraham. Say, this is where I come from. And because of that, we're the ones who are right with God. And now Jesus in his ministry completely obliterates that idea. Nor of the will of the flesh. What does that mean? It means you can't work or earn your way into eternal life. As the Apostle Paul instructs us for by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of works so that no one can boast. <coughs> See, if you can will your way through your own flesh just being a better version of you, then you're still going to fall short. You know, and, and really, I mean, we all have our points in, in life where we deeply consider things. And, you know, I'd grown up, I had the benefit of, you know, my grandfather on my mother's side coming to know Jesus in probably his 20s. And so my mom growing up in a home where Jesus was taught and the Bible was taught. And my dad coming to know the Lord when he was a university student, the University of Maryland, just radically different than he is now. And the Lord radically grabbed a hold of his life. So I had that benefit. So I grew up in a Jesus-loving, Bible-teaching home. So at a very young age, I put my faith in Jesus because I recognize I'm sinful. And I know that sounds crazy, but I recognize that I was a sinful four-year-old. That just sounds crazy to people. I, I get it. But it's the reality of it. But when I was a university student and had spent a summer uh, in London with Operation Mobilization, and our ministry was to mostly people from the Middle East, and had many conversations, and you know, it was a great summer. I was, yeah, just it was it was it was wonderful. But when I got back, I had this kind of crisis of faith, and that question of like, could all these other people be wrong? And kind of had to start like back at the beginning, just in terms of examining it all. Does this make sense? And as I looked at basically all the religions of the world, including some of the quote-unquote Christian ones, they all had a common theme. If you work hard enough, and if you try hard enough, then you get a maybe. You get a maybe you'll be, where you'll be okay with God at the end, or maybe you'll advance to the next level. There are no guarantees See, no religion in the world will give you a guarantee of your eternal salvation. Outside of, some give you a guarantee if, you, if you're a martyr. But just for a basic, you know, for an ordinary person, no religion will give you a guarantee. None of them will. 
but Jesus does. And that guarantee is based on Jesus and his death on the cross. In all the other religions, there's no guarantee because it's based on the person. And it's based on the whims of God or the gods or whatever and not on the promise of an almighty, always truthful God. See, the differences are stark. The differences are huge. When people tell you that all religions are the same, that's a person who has not studied religions. That is, an, that is as ignorant a statement as can be made. Like, even among the false religions, there are radical differences between them. It is just an ignorant statement. Somebody says, all the religions are the same. You can say, let's have some education. Because they're different. They're radically different. And Jesus is radically different. Belief in him is radically different in all the, than all the rest. And how you are made right with God is radically, radically different. You cannot earn it. You receive it as a gift, and then that gift will change you. Not the other way around. You don't change yourself in biblical faith. God changes you. Another part of that, nor of the will of man. You see, as much as I want other people to be saved, how much power do I have over that? Nothing. Like, I am a messenger. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a messenger, but you don't get to will anybody. Your your desire for somebody to be saved like, is important and good, but it doesn't save anybody. Like, you can't, I mean, and this is the thing about this, folks. Like, you can't save your children. See, a lot of people in, even in like, yes, we believe in, in Jesus, have tried to make these things, these things happen and, and, and to create rituals that aren't in the scripture to try to ensure that their children will be saved. Like, I get it. I understand. I mean, if, if you have children, like, we have children, like, more than anything else, we want them to be right with God, and we want them to be saved. We want them to be spared from the wrath of God. But there's nothing that I can do for them that, will, that, that, that can do that for them. I can't make them be right with God. If I could, I would. I mean, wouldn't you? If you could? I mean, we do that for other people's children too. We do that for every child we possibly could. We, you know, and, and there's, I mean, there's false religions where they, you know, well, if we, we can just be baptized in their name. You know, Mormons do that. They have people that are just there getting baptized. Like they're reading genealogies and they're reading names in an effort to try to save those people. Well, now you're going to be baptized for this person. And now you're going to be baptized for this person. And now you're being baptized for this person. They read the names of the person being baptized over and over again. Folks, not of the will of man. Like you can't do that for somebody else. You can't manipulate it. You see, we have to be careful. And like with children, like I, I mean, I bear witness because as a four-year-old, I came to recognize I needed to you know, that, well, I was convicted by the Holy Spirit, right? And I trusted, I believed, and I was saved. So yes, small children can come to know the Lord, but we've got to be very careful to avoid any manipulation. See, because there's kids that know that if they walk forward and they say a prayer, that they're going to get a prize. That's manipulation, folks. That's not right. 
don't do that to people because the one of the worst things that happens to people is that they think they're right with God when they're not. That's more tragic than knowing you're a rebel against God and, and, and you can either stay there or something's got to give. But to think you're okay with God when you're not, that's, a, that's abusive. That's wrong to do to people. So we got to be careful that we don't take part in any manipulation. And even in our generosity. See, this has been a problem historically as well. Well, there's a, there's a shortage of food. Well, the people who make certain professions will then be taken care of. See, people recognize those things pretty quickly. And, and you can't avoid everything that people will do and respond to, because they sometimes not the ones who are giving the message or the help or the ones doing the manipulating, but you know, others are seeing the opportunity and then taking advantage of it. I mean, that can go both ways. But we need to be very careful with our generosity toward people who don't know Jesus that we don't have strings attached. And we are very explicit and clear. Like, we're giving you this because Jesus loves you no strings attached. But we're also offering you something better than this. We're offering you something better than medical care, better than education, better than food. We're offering you eternal life in the name of Jesus. Like That's what you should be more interested to receive. But we need to be very explicit in how we do that. Otherwise, we can end up participating in his manipulative games. And I think sometimes, I mean, there's groups and, and missionaries that call, get caught up in that because, you know, if we can say so many people did X, Y, or Z, then there'll be more support for that missionary, for that ministry. We've got to be very careful about a purity and motive and method and message. See all three of those? Purity and motive. Purity and method. Purity and message. You see what happens if a person's going to come to know Jesus, well, The, the good news about Jesus needs to be preached. The Holy Spirit of God has to convict of sin. And then in response to that, there has to be humility of, Lord, save me, I'm a sinner. Like That's, that's how, that, how it goes. That's how, that's how we see it you know, in, the, in the scriptures. The, whether it's one-on-one, whether it's a group of small group of people or a large group of people, the good news of Jesus is preached. Now, if he was, sometimes you get thrown off on that, like what I'm doing here is preaching, and so you're thinking, well, I'm, no, I'm, I'm saying explaining to someone the truth of Jesus and the gospel. Like anybody who's come to know Jesus, like you've had to go through that process yourself to come to know him, so you would then be able to share that same thing with somebody else. Maybe in a very basic, simplistic way. In a very basic way. But just from your own testimony, you'd be able to share the truth of how you went from death to life. But what happens every time the message is explained. The Holy Spirit convicts. The person responds. Some people say, "Well, what about you know people? You know, they're, they're, the gospel isn't there, and person has a dream about about Jesus." Same thing's happening. 
The gospel is being shared. The Holy Spirit is convicting. The person is responding. This is the normal way, the most common throughout you know, the, the history of, of the, the true church of Jesus. It's that simple, the gospel has been shared, the Holy Spirit has been is convicted, and the person has responded. We'll go through 18 and then we'll wrap up just a few more verses. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized or revealed through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. Now, there's a couple of things here that are important. Again, the Word became flesh. We can look at Philippians you know, chapter 2 that explains how um, the, the Word left the glory of heaven and put on human flesh and came and, and dwelt among us. But that Word is full of grace and truth. Isn't that awesome? Full of grace and truth. And then we, get, we go back to John the Baptist a little bit that John testified about him. He's the one, you know, he cried out saying, this, is, this was he of whom I've said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I for he existed before me. This is, you know, when John the Baptist, you know, talked about how he wasn't worthy to untie the, the sandal from the feet of Jesus. So John the Baptist had again had that, that work to do to prepare the way. And then John writes, he says, For of his fullness we have received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. See, there's that recognition, and it's and it's what Jesus taught. Jesus taught, you know, that that he did not come, you know, to, to abolish the law or to do away with it, but to fulfill it. Matthew chapter 5. We needed something better than the law because the law it was useful and is still useful because it shows us that we are sinful. It shows us that we are guilty before God. It has still has that same function today. But we needed something better because the, the blood of bulls and goats could not take away our sins. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 8, 6 but says, But now he, that's speaking of Christ, has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. It's a better covenant. That better covenant had better promises. That better covenant had a, a better covenant giver. The one who it came through. Jesus higher than Moses. Now, there's just two more things here I want to... There's a lot we could get into, but two more things here I want to just drive home as we finish this morning. One is just the word begotten that throws a lot of people off. Um, it's, it's very misunderstood. So it's important that we have clarity you know, for that because people tend to think about it just in a biological sense. And we understand why people do that because you, know, you have the genealogies that are given, and, and, you know, especially which translation you're using, but it's going to be so-and-so begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so. So we think, well, there's biology in terms of reproduction, when we talk about begottens. But that's not the only sense in how the word um, is, is used or can be used, just like many words um, have different meanings 
uh, and different emphasis based on the context, right? So we can use the word, just for example, the word son. Same type of thing. Like normally we think son, like I have a son, his name is Micah. There's a biology there, right? We can use that word in another way. We can say that someone is a son of Africa. What does that mean? It means that there's someone who came forth from Africa. That's a common way to use you know, that, that word. And in, in our context here, we might talk about somebody and say, well, you know that person's a real son of the South. What does that mean? Are they really, you know, they really embody southernness? Right? Doesn't have anything to do with biology. So it's sent forth from, or coming out of, or coming from. And then there's also a, um, another sense here of, of the uniqueness of Christ. Yeah, and some of the translations just kind of try to avoid the, you know, the misunderstandings about gotten and begotten and use like, one and only, or the unique one. Unique one would be better than, than one and only. Uh, and the reason I say that um, is because, as Jesus said, he makes us children of, of God. So there's a, they, we, are, we are sons of God. Okay? But we're not Jesus. We're not exactly like he is in the sense that, you know, we're not, a capital, I would say this way, we're not a capital S, like the unique Son of God that Jesus Christ is. There's a uniqueness there. So, if um, the translation perhaps said, you know, the, the only unique Son of God or something to that effect, but it's better if you can just understand how the word begotten can be used not to talk about bi- biology. And that's just, again, going back um, you know, to the miraculous conception you know, of Christ um, and, and those things. It's important that we, that we have a good understanding and a, and a good understanding of our theology there and that we don't get, get confused. Um, but again, understanding the word begotten is certainly helpful to not get um, twisted up. And it's also helpful because there are a lot of people in the world today who that's a barrier to them. Like, how could God have a son? And if you don't have a way to explain that with some rationality, that can be you know, a hard thing for that person. It can be an unnecessary stumbling block for that person. So you need to have a good understanding so that you can, you can share that um, as the opportunity um, arises um, you know, in, in life, which, I, you know, certainly it will in some form or, or fashion. So having a, a comprehension of that and the ability to give a couple of examples to explain that, because, you know, that's one of the things that John the Baptist did in his ministry was to, to make a smooth path to the Lord. Jesus is called the rock, and he's also called a stumbling block. He's the same, but people are either going to build their life on him or they're going to stumble over him. The, what John the Baptist's role in ministry is is to remove the, the, the other things that could cause a person to stumble and let the person either stand or fall at Jesus. And, and we have some of that role to play as well. Um, and just as a real simple thing there, um, you know, sometimes we have to dispel what, what people think our followers of Jesus are like. Well, how do you help overcome that stumbling block? Well, strive to be as authentic as possible in following Jesus and admit it when you make mistakes, or when you mess things up. You know, there's a lot of stereotypes that you can just blow out of the water by living according to how Jesus wants us to live. So if somebody says, like, well, Christians are stingy. Well, you know, do you think I'm stingy? 
if they see you're recognizing your life that you're not stingy, well, that, I mean, you kind of just knock that rock out of the way. But now there's a problem if they're like, yeah, I think, I think Christians are stingy because I'm around you and I see how, how, you, how you live. <laughs> you know, like that's because of a problem, right? So then we have to recognize and go, oh, wait, that about me needs to change. Okay? Well, well, Christians are, you know, followers of Jesus are kind in their speech. Well, would they know that by being around us or would they think something different by being around us? You know, followers of Jesus are just real, got a lot of attitude. Got a, got a lot of, got a lot of, you know, angst about them. Yeah, so, so, again, how we live is really important. Motive, method, message. These all need to be consistent for the glory of God. Folks, you and I don't have a shot at that unless we do what we talked about at the beginning, which is a lot of time in the Word, a lot of time in prayer, fellowship, and then sharing our, our, our faith with people. Sharing Jesus with people. Like, we, like my flesh has no shot at convincing anybody that Jesus is going to make their life different or better or give them salvation. Like, my flesh has no shot at convincing like, apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. It's got to be in the Spirit. Now, in God's grace, let me just caveat, in God's grace, there are times when, like, wow, the mercy of God, because he uses us in a situation where we certainly had no business being used in terms of our own self. God's grace is still all over the place because God loves people, and he's going to use us despite us, and he loves them enough to use us despite us. But how much better for us and how much more joy do we have in life when we are living according to his way and we're close with Jesus and then that's not forced, but it just naturally flows out of us because, man, when you're filled with Jesus, you're going to overflow. Like, if you're filled with overflowing in the love and truth and goodness of Jesus, like, it's going to spill out on you. You're not going to have to wake up in the morning and, like, beat your head against the pole. And say, i got to convince myself to go do something for God today. Because I'm guilted into knowing that's what's right. Like when we're so full of Jesus, it's just like, man, anybody that we're around, they're going to get some Jesus. Whether they want it or not. <laughs> you know, because we're not going to be able to help ourselves. This is going to spill out. I mean, isn't that how you want to be? Isn't that what you want to be in life? It's just somebody who's just constantly like, the good things of Jesus are, are spilling out of you all the time. So this morning as we take this bread and this cup, say, Lord Jesus, fill me with yourself. Remove the things that are distractions, the things that get in the way and Lord, help me just to love you and love people. Just flow out of me. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Like, when you take that burning cup, give thanks for your salvation. Apart from you, I could not be saved. And then also, apart from you, I can't do anything good in this world, but I will so want it for your glory. I so want it for your glory. I so want it for your glory, not mine. And so I want it for your glory. You see, and, and we have to keep coming back to this because, folks, I know it in my own flesh that if I'm not real with the Lord about that, I, I'll want some glory. I want some glory. But who does it belong to? See, I, in my spirit, I don't want to be a thief. Take the glory that belongs to the Lord. Because he is the one that matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning.
And Father, may you receive all the glory and all the good. Lord, we recognize collectively that in our flesh, we can't accomplish what is good and what is of eternal value and what is holy. But Jesus, you have made us holy. You have separated us unto yourself, a people. You have called us to walk worthy of you, dear Jesus. So as we take that bread and cup this morning, we give thanks for the salvation you purchased for us at the cross. And we recognize and acknowledge that any light in us is actually you and we are reflecting your glory. Jesus, we give you the praise and the glory this morning. Amen.